24, Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip. When they heard him and saw the signs that he did, for unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. So Luke's transition again, we're, we're swinging from one extreme to the other. We, we are at the one extreme of the stoning of Stephen and that start of the persecution that Saul is bringing to the next extreme now where we see the spreading of the gospel going out beyond Jerusalem. So it didn't have the intended effect. Right, we see that one, that extreme again, and I thought this was interesting because in verse six it says, "And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip, when they heard him and saw the signs that he did." So they're hearing what the message is that Philip's bringing, and they're they're responding, and they're responding with one accord. Again, we see the same coming together. So when the the gospel of Jesus is shared in fullness, without any mixture, this is what happens. People tend to come together in one accord. That's what we see over and over again in Acts. One of the things I want us to understand, too, as we get further into this, is that Philip, like Stephen, was a Hellenist. And it's going to start to bring some things together as we look at, at the spread of the gospel going out. It wasn't just... The Jews, excuse me, it wasn't just the Jews, it was uh, it was everybody. Everybody's being brought in. They all shared uh, the same spirit. In addition to that, he went to Samaria. So we know, maybe we don't know. Everybody know about the Samaritans. They know who they are. Samaritans were... Uh, what was considered half-breeds. They were half-Jews and half-mixed with other things. So after the exile, they came back and there was a settling in the land and there was mixture amongst the people. And so the Jews looked at them as half-breeds. And the rest of the world looked at them the same way, but in the opposite manner of they were half-Jews. So the Jews looked at them as half-something else. The rest of the world looked at them as half-Jew. So they're persecuted from all sides. So it's important to understand that. So one of the other things to, to look at here is, is this message of Jesus is now moving outside of Jerusalem. We have to understand that it's not tied to geography. Yes, God's mountain is Mount Zion. That's Jerusalem. But the message has to spread to the entire world. And I think we can, we can lose sight of that sometimes and get focused on our own little club, our own little corner of the world, and forget that the message needs to go out further. And this is a great example of that. How it's not tied to geography. All right, let's pick back up here, verse 9. But there was a man named Simon, who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him, from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. 
But when they believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued with Philip. And seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. So Simon the magician, he called himself great. What were his motives here? This is, this is something that we need to look at in ourselves when we read stories like these and motives. You know, what, what are my motives in, in following Jesus? What are my motives in, in going after what it is that God's called me to? I would I would be willing to guess that there had to be many people like this that those spreading the gospel encountered. So why did Luke single him out? Why did Luke single out Simon here? I feel like there's a timeless story in in what it was that Simon was doing. Even with questionable motives, Jesus was. Uh, com- still compelling and drawing people in. But there's there's a, a message here that we can all take hold of in trying to to pervert the gospel and trying to gain something, gain favor, gain uh, acclaim, any of that through through means that are not pure. People paid attention to Simon, but what happened when Philip started preaching? We get the but there, right? We get, yes, they were listening to him, but Philip had a greater message. There's a story here that we can take hold of to not pervert what it is that Jesus came to do, to not pervert the message of the gospel and try to really pour for lack of a better term, and to use today's speak to monetize it. That's what he was wanting to do. And we're going to see that here. Pick back up in verse 14. Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent them, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen, for he had not yet fallen on any of them but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. So why did Peter and John have to come? Why couldn't Philip do this? Philip could have very easily, he was he was performing miracles, signs and wonders in their sight anyways. It was already happening. Why couldn't he lay hands on them to receive the Holy Spirit? Why did it require the apostles from Jerusalem to come? in order for them to receive the Holy Spirit. I was thinking Philip was capable enough, but after reading about this some more, coming from the apostles, this meant something because it was taking place in Samaria. Remember, who are the Samaritans? These are the half-breed people, right? These are the ones that are looked down on from from everybody outside. Sure, it could have happened with with Philip, but in, in spreading the gospel, this needed to happen from what would have been viewed as the highest authority at the time. The highest authority in this this church that is emerging, those that's coming from the men who walk with Jesus every single day. 
So this, this came down to a, a point of being able to have the apostles, those that walked with Jesus throughout his entire ministry from baptism to ascension, to be able to come in and lay hands on these people. This is a message that's going out to the entire world. This, this is for everyone, not just for God's elect under the old covenant, but it's now all people, all of humanity is is being brought in here. And so this was a sign that, that these men came down to Samaria to lay hands on, on the Samaritans for them to receive the Holy Spirit. So yes, that could have happened through Philip, but there's a bigger, bigger thing at play when it comes from these men, when they come down with their authority and their weight to be able to do this. All right, verse 18. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, Pray for me to the Lord, that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Now when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. Again, this is this is money corrupting and perverting motives here. He's trying to buy favor, buy something that's freely given to everyone. And, and we can look at this today and, and start to investigate our own motives and, and interrogate them and, and ask what are we motiv motivated by? And, and we can see it in the world. We can see motives on display, money, power, fame, control. But there's also fear of the Lord, being motivated by the gospel of Jesus. This is the, the part of the story that is, is timeless in its application and consequences. Did Simon really repent? I don't know. I mean, it says that he, he said, he asked him to pray that those things wouldn't happen to him. But that doesn't mean there's a repentant heart there. We don't know if his motives changed. I would hope so. But investigating motives, this is, this is that timeless application that we can look at for ourselves and starting to understand what are motives in doing things. We, we've done that around here over the years. Continually, every time we're doing something, what are the motives here? Are they pure? There is, there is a, a desire to be led by the fear of the Lord and a desire to spread the pure gospel of Jesus, not mixed with anything. And I think we have to get back to that. We have to get back to the fact where we are calling things for what they are. If we're seeing sin, we're calling that out. 
and not just letting things go anymore. This is what's going to set us apart from the rest of the world. When you're motivated by the fear of the Lord, you're going to put holiness on display. You're going to walk in a manner that has clean hands and a pure heart. We, we see that with, with Peter, John, and the rest of the apostles all the time. They're continually calling out sin. They're being accused of stuff. Accusations are, are slung at them all the time. And why are accusations slung at them? Because the, the people slinging those accusations are insecure and don't want to lose control of what they have. But every time accusations are slung at them, what are they doing? Sharing Jesus, calling out sin. They're not offering up a defense for the accusation. They're just calling out truth. In this instance, it's it's money that is is the the motivation here, because I'm sure Simon was receiving a pretty good payout for performing his his magic. He liked the the fame that came with it as well. In starting to look at this, I was thinking about the question and turning this question on myself. Are you allowing yourself to be manipulated by money, taking you away from God's call? It's it's an easy trap to fall into. It's an easy manipulation to fall into. And, And we can see it with a lot of people. We can see it with a lot of people in ministry that they are manipulated by money and it takes them it takes them out of, of pure pure calling. <laughs> Another question is, is are you using money? How are you using money? I guess would be a better question. Because using the resources we have can be done in a way that's uh, that's also perverted. We can be perverted by it, and we can also pervert and use it that way. Just like Simon was attempting to do, he was attempting to buy the Holy Spirit of God. It sounds pretty audacious when you say it out loud. It goes back to, to are your heart and hands pure and clean? which can be answered in, what are my motives? And it's going to answer for us the question of, do you have part or lot in the kingdom? Peter was telling Simon that he doesn't have part or lot in what is happening because he was attempting to buy the Holy Spirit. When we can answer that we have clean hands and pure heart and, and our motives are sincere and they are in line with, with our calling. We know that we have part in that. There's a story in Second Kings. Let's see if I can be clear. Second Kings 10. Why don't you turn to Second Kings 10?
This is 2 Kings 10. This is the story of Jehu. And th this is a continuation of his, his terror on God's behalf. He is going through the kingdom and getting rid of, of things that, that God has told him to get rid of. And in 2 Kings 10, this is the slaughter of Ahab's descendants. And let's start reading in verse 12. It says, Then he set out and went to Samaria. On the way, on the way he was at Beth Aked of the shepherds. Jehu met the relatives of Ahaziah, king of Judah, and he said, Who are you? And they answered, We are the relatives of Ahaziah, and we came down to visit the royal princes and the sons of the queen mother. He said, Take them alive. And they took them alive and slaughtered them at the pit of Beth Aked. Forty-two persons, and he spared none of them. And when he departed from there, he met Jehonadad, the son of Rechab, coming to meet him. And he greeted him and said to him, Is your heart true to my heart as mine is to yours? And Jehonadab answered, It is. Jehu said, If it is, give me your hand. So he gave him his hand, and Jehu took him up with him into the chariot. And he said, come with me and see my zeal for the Lord. So he had him ride in his chariot. And when he came to Samaria, he struck down all who remained to Ahab in Samaria. Till he had wiped them out, according to the word of the Lord that he spoke to Elijah. So why highlight this story? It's about location and motives. We see a connection to Samaria here. But there was a motive here to fulfill what it was that God was asking. Jehu had a zeal for God. And he was going to make sure that he followed every everything that God had asked him to do. If you go back and read, starting in 2 Kings chapter 9 um, this week, it's it's a good story. And you're going to see some... Some numbers and connections jump out at you that will look familiar from things we've talked about in Acts. I turn to Psalm 78 now. Psalm 78, verse 37. It says, their heart was not steadfast toward him. They were not faithful to his covenant. Yet he, being compassionate, atoned for their iniquity and did not destroy them. He restrained his anger often and did not stir up all his wrath. He remembered that they were but flesh, a wind that passes and comes not again. This is a great song. I, I recommend you go read the entire thing. Uh, in, in these verses right here, though, we're, we're seeing a heart examine. Again, this is thinking about motives, thinking about what's going on in our hearts when we are pursuing God. I, I really like Psalm 78. It's another one that I recommend you go out and read this week. It's, it's a historical recounting of, of God's faithfulness to Israel and their repeated unfaithfulness in return. 
the psalmist here calls calls the people to to listen and learn from the past, which is something that we could be doing as well. We could be listening and learning from our own past. Psalm 78 overall just kind of serves as a reminder of God's faithfulness and the importance of obedience. It's a call to learn from past mistakes and, and trust in God's promises, even, even when we're facing challenges, when we're facing obstacles. Learning from past mistakes. The timeless lesson of, of not using money in a way that is attempting to manipulate the gift of God, his Holy Spirit, and, and pervert his kingdom. This is something we can learn from Simon. It's something we can learn from Jehu. We can learn from this psalm as well. To remember who God is. To remember how it is that he's shown up for us. Remembering what we believe about him. That thing we talked about over and over and over again being the most important thing about us. What is it you believe about God? Remembering who we are and whose we are. And remembering what we're working for. Those are the reasons why I wanted to highlight those stories. Is to remember. Going back. Checking motives. Understanding what's going on inside of us. To be able to ensure we got we have clean hands and pure hearts as we go forward. Holiness has to be something that we are we are really looking to go after right now. It's easy to look like the world. It's easy to, to put on a mask and say, this is what the kingdom looks like. It doesn't look much different from the world, so come on in. That's not that's not the, the gospel message. We are set apart people. We should be acting like it. We should be calling out things like Peter did. But it's going to take a lot of boldness on our part to be able to get there, to be able to do that. It's going to take a lot of time spent in relationship with the Holy Spirit to, to understand the timing of when to push. It's not insensitive to push. It's not insensitive or unkind to call out sin. It is unkind to leave people in that. I think that's something we forget. We, we want to we want to keep everyone happy when in the face of eternity we really should be looking at what is going on there. In the moment, uncomfortable times, those are going to pass. So that was the, the, the purpose of, of highlighting those stories is to be able to look at motives. We, we talk often about wanting to see, <coughs> wanting to see signs of wonders and miracles, 
the power of Holy Spirit on display, like we read about. If we're going to see things like we're, we're about to talk about with Philip, then we need to make sure that holiness is right at the forefront of everything we're doing. And being led by the fear of the Lord is going to get us there. All right, let's continue on. Turn back Acts chapter 8. We'll pick up in verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot. And he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? I love that. Holy Spirit said to Philip, go over there. He didn't just take his time, he ran. That's obedience. Quick and swift obedience, said Philip. Philip ran to him, asked him, do you understand what you're reading? Verse 31, and he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture, <coughs> the passage of scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shearers is silent. So he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself in Azotus. I don't know how to pronounce that. Philip found himself there, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Caesarea. So Philip is getting moved all over. This is, this is pretty incredible, right? He, he just gets supernaturally plucked up and dropped in another location. I, um, I, I just, I wonder if that was disorienting for Philip. That's the big thing going on in my head when I'm reading this story. Was that disorienting for him? Did he get plopped down and was like, did he know where he was at? Did he get dropped down instead of in front of the sign that says, welcome to Azotus, you know? I, I don't know. Just the weird things going on in my head here. He's getting moved all over, right? And and we see the, the eunuch here reading Isaiah 53, verses 7 and 8. 
He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. It's interesting. I find it very interesting that the eunuch was reading Isaiah. What's the draw for this man to be reading Isaiah? And particularly these two verses. It, it's, it's fitting, you know, again, when we talk about Holy Spirit setting people up to bring witness to others. This is one of those moments. Their heart was open to us because they have questions. And this is what's going to lead us deeper into, into relationship with Jesus, is asking questions. Having these things come up and be able to, out loud, ask the questions. There's another interesting part of Isaiah that I think would, would draw this Ethiopian unit in even further. In Isaiah 56, verses 3 to 5, it says, Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, The Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord, To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument in a name better than the sons and daughters, I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. Isaiah 56, verses 3 to 5. This is speaking to that, to him right there. So, so of course, Isaiah is going to be a, a, a portion of scripture that really draws him in. Because it speaks to his situation. I'm sure that this man could see the fulfillment of this promise with the telling of the good news of Jesus. I, I'm sure that he is making this connection here. He sees a promise to, to himself. This speaks directly to him. And now he's hearing what it is that's going on from, from chapter 53 about this person who's oppressed, who stood silent in front of persecution. Didn't offer defense, but just took on the transgressions of his people. And then Isaiah 56, 5 saying, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be covered. He sees himself in this. He sees himself in what it was that Jesus did.
Acts chapter 8 sees, sees the gospel spreading into Samaria out of Jerusalem to the north and then down to Ethiopia in the south. The good news of Jesus is beginning to spread outside of Jerusalem. We see the gospel going beyond Jerusalem, not tied specifically to one, one location, which is what we saw before. Yes, the, the news of what was happening was going out, but they were not themselves going out to share the gospel outside of Jerusalem before this. People were coming to them. Thousands of people were coming. They were seeing all kinds of miracles, and now that's moving and spreading out further and wider. If you remember back a couple weeks ago, we talked about witnessing. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit supports believers in witnessing. There's a support taking place here as we go out and share Jesus. Holy Spirit empowers effective witness. We're seeing all of this stuff happening in Acts chapter 8. There's an empowerment to be effective. There's just obedience on our part to follow through with what it is that we're being asked. Holy Spirit telling Philip, go over to that chariot and talk to this man. He empowered him to do that. Holy Spirit confirms the testimony of believers. The testimony that Philip was sharing with this Ethiopian unit, we know was confirmed by Holy Spirit. When you just look at the other connections in Isaiah that are specific to this man that's being talked to here, who's sitting in that chariot, we can see that, that Holy Spirit is working and confirmed with that. Holy Spirit guides believers and witnesses. Philip was told, hey, go talk to him. We have to be sensitive to that just as much as Philip was. When Holy Spirit tells us, go talk to somebody, we need to follow through with that. If you're like me, it's going to be very awkward. I'm not great at just walking up and talking to people. Even in knowing that, though, it still needs to be done. It still has to be, there has to be a, an obedience there to follow through with what it is that, that I'm being asked to do. And so we have to cultivate that sensitivity to hearing the voice of Holy Spirit in guiding us. We can't forget that witness, witnessing is bringing on persecution. Going back to the beginning, those first three verses of Acts 8, we see that Saul is setting off into great persecution of the early church. But that doesn't stop their witnessing. In the, the face of, of the persecution, there was not defense offered. There was just witness of truth of Jesus. Also remember that there were the, the targets of opposition were, were God himself, uh, God's people, and God's word. And in dealing with opposition, we need to be prepared, be prepared. We need to keep a right perspective of 
what the target of persecution is. In dealing with opposition, we also need to be in prayer. This is something talked about in in the Word for 2024 here. Well, for the first six months at least. Uh, becoming the essence of prayer. Making your life a prayer. This sets you up to be prepared for persecution when it comes. I will say we need to be prepared for persecution because we are so unfamiliar with what real persecution is and what real persecution looks like. It's going to be a surprise when it does actually show up. It's going to hit really hard when actual persecution comes right in our face. We have to be prepared for that. We have to remember, too, that in the face of persecution, there is a defiance that needs to be already on the inside of us. A defiance to not deny what it is that, that God is calling us into, to not deny God himself. We also want to be careful that we're not the ones persecuted. And remembering the words of Gamaliel back in Acts 5. Don't be caught fighting against God. Because to defy God's people is to defy God. There is a, we, we also talked a couple weeks ago about legitimate authority and how we are called to not defy legitimate authority, but ungodly authority deserves defiance. And that's what we're talking about when we're looking at persecution coming against us. We don't let that stop us. We continue to push on. And we know that that, that opposition is going to, to spread the gospel. With, with persecution comes an enhancement of, of that. So really that's what I wanted us to capture today is that in our hearts and minds we, we understand motives, we understand holiness and that being one of our highest aims. Something that we're, we're continually keeping our eyes fixed on. If we're really wanting to, to see and, and work in signs, wonders, and miracles on a regular basis. We need to be focused and, and intently so on holiness. Far too much mixture of, of the world and of the church and trying to 
somehow make them fit together for the sake of what? What, what what's that for? What what's what is what does it do for us or for the kingdom to try and make the world and the kingdom fit together? Because they don't fit together. They're in opposition of one another. What's it for? Is it for egos to be able to say, I got a ministry that's this big? Is it for butts and seats? Is it to, you know, what's it for? Are we, are we making disciples that way? Probably not. We need to be able to understand motives. All right. Let's uh let's transition.